You have 24 minutes. You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. 24 Hour Nation is a news and information service about economic activity in our cities and towns 24 hours a day. Our website and social media provide valuable insights and resources for nighttime advocates. Our podcast and webinars share the wisdom and expertise of international thought leaders on matters that pertain to nighttime economic and cultural activity. For curious travelers, 24-Hour Nation also shares new and intriguing things to see, do, or savor in America's top nighttime destinations. Follow us at 24hournation.com and on social media at 24 Nation. My name is Randall White, founder and curator for 24-Hour Nation. Today, we spend 24 minutes with Diana Raisales, research lead for Vibe Lab, which you'll hear a little bit about. Diana has been collecting data from around the world regarding closing times for nighttime businesses that serve alcohol and will share some insights gained there. They will also report on a session and activity Vibe Lab presented at this year's World Urban Forum. Sponsored by UN Habitat, the World Urban Forum is the premier global conference on sustainable urbanization. This was the first time that the World Urban Forum gave attention to urban nights. This is a good thing. Here's 24 Minutes with Diana Reyesalis. Vibe Lab is a purpose-driven consultancy focused on nighttime, uh, nightlife, and all things cultural industries. And we're based across Amsterdam, Berlin, and Sydney. And we also work with a network of nightmares all over the world in 60 to 70 plus cities now. And your role with Vibe Lab? I serve as Vibe Lab's research lead, so I run a variety of research projects, both uh, client or city-based, project-based, and also a lot of our initiatives in-house. Okay, and speaking of research, you have been working lately on a study on operating hours of nightlife businesses, particularly, I guess, alcohol-serving businesses around the planet. What, First of all, why was anybody listening to this podcast want to know what you have discovered? When we talk about nightlife, so the life at night in cities after 6 p.m., and we know there's a million different definitions for when does nighttime start, there are a patchwork of regulations in cities all around the world of when nightlife has to end. Colloquially, that probably means also when alcohol has to stop being served. In some cities or states, that's midnight. Some places it's 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., sometimes later. Some have no regulations at all. But there are a, a huge number of design decisions um, related to transit and mobility, related to how cities operate at that closing time that all stem from that time of when, when does service stop? And it's not just economic, it's not just urban planning, it's also the cultural life of cities. Part of why I'm so interested in this topic was moving from Los Angeles which in California has a 2 a.m. closing time statewide um, for any kind of alcohol service, and then moving from L.A. to Berlin, where there has been no curfew um, or no ending time for alcohol sales since 1949. Um, and seeing how much of an impact that has had on the way nightlife culture has developed, the spaces it exists in, the sort of balance between official and unofficial spaces, even the kind of aesthetic storytelling or the progression of a cultural event at night when you don't have to end at 2 a.m. sharp, I see the impact of all of this. And so I think this is a really, really important topic. And in a number of cities, 
this is something that's being explored of how do we go later? Um, how do we make all of the space that's needed for this nighttime culture and community as well as economy? Um, and the sort of temporal space of that is a really important element. Well, what's been the, the process for this research? I know there was a Cities at Night, you convened folks online, but tell us a little bit about how you began the process and how you've been able to discern information that intrigues intrigues me and other research geeks, I think. So in addition to Viablab acting as a consultant, as researcher, as advocate, um, a really important role that Viablab plays is also a sort of a network convener in both formal ways, like in conference programming and things that we do, but also in informal ways in, in the chats that we have just to support exchange between researchers around the world. And so one of the things that we're doing since this year is called the nighttime.org labs. And this is a set of in-house, quote unquote, think and do tanks that we run in addition to things that we do for cities or for organizations around the world. One of the topics that we focus on is safety at night, because that's it's not even one topic. That is many, many more, all kinds of different slices of, of issues of different organizations and so on. But one of the questions that continues to come up in our networks when we talk to advocates around the world is for resources for research around later nights and the, the case to make to city, to city decision makers, to city officials for later nights. And so we have also a, a network organization called Cities After Dark Network, uh, which operates in Europe, and that convenes researchers, nighttime advocates, and city officials, one from every member city. Um, and so we had a special edition of the Cities After Dark Network because this question had come up so much between Europe and North American folks that we work with, folks in our networks. And so this, this roundtable that we had, we started by doing a, a research scan of what actually is the research that's out there now about wow. making the case for or against later nights. And I think the thing that, that we learned from this is that the body of evidence is also sometimes sits at odds with what we know anecdotally. So what we found when we looked at this research base um, is that focusing solely on opening hours and not taking a more holistic approach of other measures to maybe mitigate or acknowledge potential negative outcomes always does emphasize the direct negative outcomes of increased consumption, of driving under the influence, of alcohol-related violence or nuisance. And I think what we know as nightlife advocates is this idea that the night will organize itself, that it's possible to just extend hours and hope for the best, is not realistic. So the conversations that, that we have amidst nighttime advocates is that cities who are wanting to extend hours also have to consider the complementary framework policies that have to go along with that. So how are you thinking about an increase of transport? How are you thinking about public safety? How are you thinking about urban lighting, wayfinding, mobility, all these different aspects? You know, the research base also found in some there was a correlation between more liberal hours and reductions in traffic accidents. Some other studies found a correlation between more restrictive alcohol sales hours and reduced public health harms. So this was the sampling of research you pulled together. There was seemed to be contradictory information, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. What to me is so interesting about this is that what we as nighttime workers and event producers know anecdotally is, is maybe different or more specialized than what's in these larger scale research studies. For example, 
this this case in Berlin that has no closing time, you know, what I observe anecdotally, what we observe in Berlin is that a later night also allows patrons to leave at their own pace. We avoid this sort of 3 a.m. rush or 2 a.m. rush um, where that can really be an instance of more fights, more nuisance, more chaos, etc. How did we wind up with closing hours? I mean, the history, even in the states, the history of the states was based on, in part, because of rum. You know, the, the America and Britain had this whole conflict over rum, and so we then temperance happened. How suddenly we have, you know, closing hours at all in the states? Is it what's what's behind that, and why in Germany are since forty nine? Is it are there no closing? Hours? Did you find out anything about that? What? has created these hyper-local and local and state and federal rules on closing hours? This is a great question. I, I don't know it maybe as much as I should about the history of all of this, especially because our geographic mandate is so wide. Um, right. I do know that what California has been trying to do in terms of this, this effort to adjust late night, to allow cities to adjust their late night, um, this would be an update to laws that were created in 1913. And so I do really see, I'm from Boston originally, I see the impact of the sort of prohibition era or temperance thinking um, in, in terms of how we police, prohibit, regulate alcohol in the US. And I think that maybe extends to, to further in North America as well. Um, what I can say about the Berlin approach, and maybe I'll, I'll give you this link to add into the show notes. There's a sure. beautiful little Red Bull Music Academy uh, kind of graphic novelization of this was that the abolition of closing times in Berlin actually came from a sort of quote unquote curfew race when Berlin was divided between the Soviet and allied sectors. You know, before there was a wall, folks would cross from one side to the other wherever had the, the latest last call. And um, a hotelier, Heinz Zellemeyer, went to the allied forces it's it's sort of said with with a bottle of whiskey in hand and said hey how about we abolish closing times and they they ultimately did so and that was in 1949 and that's a policy that has withstood the fall of the wall um the reunification and and so on and so part of the findings that you have from this uh, existing data research that you pulled out from around the world was that there are a lot of related issues that don't necessarily have to do with alcohol service or late night hours. It has to do with the other things. Transportation has to do with noise ordinances, has to do with uncomfortable neighbors, has to do with all of that. Do you how much has that shaped us still, particularly in the states, to your knowledge? Do you know, is it because people are afraid we're afraid of the dark, and then you add alcohol into the mix or loud people, noisy people. Do you think that's why it's contained to the current hours? Are people not really fully thinking about the economic value of this, the cultural value of this? I, I do think you're right in that there are so many elements to this. When we're talking about closing hours, we're often without realizing it, referring to specifically alcohol service. You know, there are cities that have um, after hour clubs that don't have an alcohol license, that right. their revenue also comes from a ticket sale or a door charge, let's say. But a lot of the, the conversation, I think, around closing hours can have a lot of kind of misconceptions or assumptions baked into it. You know, something really interesting that's come up in our conversations now has been COVID provided almost this counter example. For example, um, Bristol went from having a, a regulated closing time to in 2007, having some 24 hour licensing regulations. And anecdotally there, 
what had been observed of this the sort of closing time rush where there was nuisance fights or a rush to all get into taxis there's been a real decrease in that kind of issue in the city center since then but when um there was a 10 p.m closing time regulated during covid the same issues presented themselves again mm. so this this sort of spike again in this 2 a.m rush you know taxi issues public safety issues and so on to me why why this topic is really interesting is it's a chance for us to re-examine some of the assumptions that get made about policy making at night of how mm-hmm. we get to safer outcomes how we get to better coexistence and so on to say is is there really a correlation between later nights and more noise and nuisance or by installing longer nights and allowing for a sort of more natural flow towards home are we actually going to be getting better coexistence for the people who want to sleep i think also you know there's a real close relationship in this field between nighttime researchers and nighttime policymakers and implementers and the idea of having this simultaneous you know we're able to pilot events to research and publish about them to share good practices between different cities this is all the whole policy making cycle is happening in real time this has been an ongoing conversation for a long okay. time and okay. we are actively seeking ways to create more research and knowledge about this there are really really exciting pilot projects going on um around the world like what montreal is doing montreal vincat vincat with their non-stop events are showing in real time you know when they do these events that run past the traditional 3 a.m. end of service um, in Montreal and being able to prove that there are good outcomes, that there is yeah. not an increase in noise complaints, that there aren't public health concerns, so on and so forth, that this can be done. So we're collecting and gathering these good cases. We're following these stories. We're actively looking for cities that want to be working on this, whether that's from folks inside our network or beyond, because eventually it would be beautiful to put together more of a a resource on this. Right now this is internal what we have, but there's there's such an opportunity here as cities look at all this. What do you think the best arguments are for revising or revisiting operating hours for a municipality? I think beyond the fact that cities have changed since 1913. Um we are <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that probably sums it up right there. Yeah, okay. No, no, no. So, so cities have really changed since 1913 or 1920 or when these laws have been put on the books. I think that's the first really important question of it, it is important for us to revisit and to question the kind of policies we want to see and what makes the most sense for us. And a big challenge of that can be that some of these laws are on a state level and cities want to revisit this. So this question of more local control is is a real one. But I think, too, you know, we are beginning to see nightlife as social infrastructure, not solely as entertainment, though that's important, but to really see that these spaces serve a social need in cities, in the urban fabric of cities. It's it's important for us to take this proactive rather than reactive approach to nighttime cities in how we design it, that there is the sociocultural value to later nights, and that also we are looking towards a future in which the climate is changing massively. We are looking at 
operating more of our lives likely at night or after dark than during the day than we do currently. And so this question of not just planning later nights for partying, but planning later nights for, for cities in general, having our services, our transit, our anything that we access during the day to be available. This is something that we need to be planning for looking forward into the future. So when we took a look at the research base, we found that studies that are focusing solely on opening hours and not perhaps installing later hours with a more holistic approach of harm reduction always will emphasize the direct negative outcomes of increased consumption, such as driving under the influence or alcohol-related violence. And most of the research in the field focuses only on alcohol-related violence as a result of extended hours. So we recognize that the night is not necessarily going to organize itself and simply extending hours is not necessarily going to lead to better outcomes. But within that research, um, it, it is said also that something like fixed and, and relatively early closing times can promote what one study calls drinking to beat the clock or what public health folks may call binge drinking, whereas a more flexible closing time, something that cities can define um, or that specific districts can even define, can incentivize a slower pace of consumption and also a place to stay until patrons are ready to go home. So there's a really mixed uh, outcomes in the research with a lot of different confounding factors and variables, and also the fact that many cities introduce a whole set of reforms at the same time. So it also can be difficult to figure out what, what caused what, um, to just define causality. What nighttime folks actually sort of anecdotally know, um, I think Amsterdam is a really excellent case because there's a lot of, uh, there's more larger scale data um, from what Merrick Milan and the Nightmare Foundation um, did in the Rembrandt Pine district of Amsterdam. So they had worked together um, between the city, local businesses, hospitality and night advocates to implement a set of measures there. And I know you talked to um, Anjani of the Square Host back in September, but what they found from that set of measures using later closing times as the sort of incentive to foster participation um, alongside these other measures was a 20% drop in alcohol-related violence, a nearly 40% drop in reported nuisance, a drop in the perceived risk of violence and aggression, and also local respondents describing a, a feelings of more safety and more trust in the square host to prevent incidents and to create a positive atmosphere. So this is, I think, a really, really good example of using later closing hours inside of a larger suite of measures of wayfinding, of an innovative approach to public safety, de-escalation, all of these elements um, as a way to do sort of sustainable later nights. Okay, I'm speaking with Diana Racelis, research lead with Vibe Lab. You can learn more about Vibe Lab at vibe-lab.org. You can learn more about Vibe Lab also at nighttime.org. They're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Tell me a little bit about the World Urban Forum and why, what, what happened with Vibe Lab there and why does that matter? So in June, Vibe Lab hosted the first ever session at the World Urban Forum on the urban night. So in the entire history of this UN Habitat major um, every other year convening, this has never been a topic of a formal session to the best of our knowledge. And so I, I think this speaks to, you know, we tend to manage the night reactively or the night comes into focus when something happens. So it was really a pleasure. We did this, this session on nighttime safety in partnership with UN Habitat Safer Cities and AFUS, the European Forum for Urban Security. 
and focused on this topic. And so we also had the chance to do a nighttime walk around Katowice, Poland, as well as a panel discussion with presenters and cases from Sydney, New South Wales, Montreal, Berlin, Johannesburg, Paris, Mannheim, and Vilnius. So a few interesting points of discussion came out of this conversation, along with just a, a lot of great presenters and great conversation. But first, recognizing how much the current business models of nightlife are bound up in alcohol sales that bar sales are still a huge portion of nightlife revenue. And so that has a big influence on, like that means closing times have a huge significance to them. And so this is a, a big topic that's come up in international conversations that I'm excited to look into more of what business models look like that decentralize alcohol, but are financially sustainable. And then I, I think also being in that particular setting at the World Urban Forum, there is such a need to include and center voices and perspectives from the global South in the topic of nighttime safety that I recognize that this licensing conversation we're having is largely still amidst North American and European nighttime advocates. And so there's wisdom and there's voices that we have to also bring into the picture. And in particular, that when we talk about anything related to nighttime safety, and I, I include this closing times conversation in it, there is a real need to incorporate the experiences of marginalized and racial, racialized people, women, queer, trans, gender, non-conforming folks. Our safety at night can be so different based upon our identity and the kinds of transit offerings that work for me may not work for someone else. And so I think it's so, so important to recognize as we talk about this very technical topic, what is the impact this will have on all of the different groups of people that make up a city um, and what may may we be overlooking. That's great because that part's hard and <laughs> we don't like to do hard things. And just one, let me, one follow-up question to that. What do you imagine this work that comes out of the World Urban Forum and the, the presentation by Vibe Lab there and this, how will that information benefit cities like Raleigh, North Carolina, Albuquerque, New Mexico, as much as it would benefit a place like Antwerp or Lisbon? I mean, yeah, you, I just I loved your reference to the Southern Hemisphere is not getting its voice at the table, but even it does seem kind of Eurocentric a bit. How will it affect the smaller cities, even in the States? I think... Smaller cities, and I say this with a sort of distant perspective, realizing that I've lived in really big cities for the last years of my life, right. but even smaller cities have a 24-hour aspect to them. Even, even folks who think they don't have a 24-hour economy do have people who are leaving work late, who are leaving for work very early, who have real needs in how they get to work and how they can access services. So this question of 24-hour city planning, no matter how big or small a municipality you are, this is a question that, that needs to be addressed. Um, and, and when we simply fall back on old frameworks of licensing, of permitting, of transit planning, um, I think we, we, we risk not serving everybody that we are aiming to serve in a city. I'm going to ask you one final question, give you the final word, Diana, and I appreciate your time. In the United States, which you're familiar with, we live in a skeptical world and a do-it-yourself world. And in that climate, what's it going to take for international research into nighttime governance models, best practices, issues, and solutions to be adopted and implemented? Or we do, do we just wind up with another report on a digital shelf? I really believe in the power of pilots. If there is skepticism, I recognize that sometimes it's important to see it with your own eyes. 
And so I really, really value the night advocates around the world who are trying this out in order to show and share with policymakers that a different approach to nighttime, one that's not based in fear, one that's not based in prohibition, can work. I think it's really, really important in this to center the expertise of those with lived experience, of those who are out every night, whether they're working, whether they're putting on events, whether they're running businesses, whether they're just participating in the night, and to use that knowledge, um, that expertise to design what we're going to go into the next hundred years with. has been Season 1, Episode 25 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Learn more about us at 24hournation.com and on social media at 24hournation.com.